This is crime scene investigator Chris G leading you under the police tape and into a crime scene. Join me as we discuss the ever-changing world of forensic science. Put on your PPE, ready your fingerprint brushes and experience the drama of a crime scene. Hi everyone, it's Chris here and thank you for tuning in to my second podcast. I've had a lot of nice comments uh, from my first podcast with Peter James. If you haven't uh, listened to it already, uh, then do check it out. He's a fantastic man, a fantastic author, and I had a really, really interesting chat with him. And yeah, thanks again for all your excellent comments. I hope you're looking forward to this podcast as well. Um, And this week I'm going to be talking about how I became a crime scene investigator. I'm also joined by my colleague, Adam. He uh, is a crime scene investigator as well. He's been doing it a similar sort of time than I have. And I'm going to jump right in and ask him some questions to start with, which will really set the scene and define him as a crime scene investigator and as a person. And then once I've asked him the questions, I'll look at how we both became crime scene investigators and maybe the tips and hints we can give you as well. So without further ado, I've always wondered what that saying actually means. Um, Has anyone actually got a do? Does anyone need further ado? Uh, I'm not quite sure. So anyway, let's crack on and uh, we'll meet Adam. Adam is like a Trojan horse when it comes to <laughs> the way you work. <laughs> he is a machine. Um, I'm going to ask Adam three questions, and this kind of sums up Adam in a nutshell. So, Adam, uh, what's the longest shift you've ever worked? Um, I think that was 52 hours 52 straight up in the hours. end. <laughs> yeah, not stopping. That was uh, that was quite an intense I mean by the end I've got to say I was seeing things you know when you're so tired you start to hallucinate <laughs> yeah. I, I was my desk was picking itself up and crawling off I didn't know if I was coming or going um I'll never do that again oh, I've got to dude. say it was, I've got my badge of honor and never again I've never. just got that uh, image of isn't it on the Simpsons where Homer falls asleep in his car and then the car kind of drifts up into the that sky is exactly it yes I parked up at the station with you know somebody's post box and fence and cat right <laughs> across in front of me uh, the fan yeah that was it oh dear um so 52 hours that what's that's over two days that you were working from start to yeah. finish God, yeah that's that yeah, is crazy wouldn't recommend it no uh next question uh what's the most amount of exhibits you've seized for one case um i've been thinking about this and i'm trying to i'm trying to remember i think it was getting on for about a thousand, a thousand in the end exhibits um i know it was it was one of those jobs where you end up seizing everything and doing every little thing i mean i was fiber taping every corner in an entire house <laughs> um and just swabbing everything so by the end i think we were we were looking on for about a thousand exhibits wow. Um, probably yeah, left was... behind a pristine house as well. Just it was a lot cleaner than we arrived. <laughs> yeah. That's for sure. God blimey! It can get quite tedious uh, the work that we do, but of course you know you only get one shot at crime scene, so you could walk in there, and when you walk out, you can never walk back in again. Um, so everything's yeah. got to be collected. 
Yeah, you never know what the suspect is going to say later on as well. You arrest somebody two weeks down the line, you just have no idea if they're going to come out with the sort of story you want or get very creative. Yeah. You've got to, it's like, obviously, it's like chess. You've got to think five, ten steps ahead. Um, and sometimes that means just seizing and just ridiculous amount of stuff. Yeah. And I mean, you must have seized a fair amount in your time, Chris. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've seized um, yeah, a fair amount. I think most I've done is about th- just over 300 exhibits. Um, but, yeah, that uh, that is one lengthy statement at the end of it, just 300. So, <laughs> <laughs> a thousand, that must be going on for quite a few pages. Um, yes, yeah, and that was... Um, it made for great reading. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Put the jury to sleep. Yeah, see that's the trouble. Like our our work can be so interesting, but when you are just sat there in in the you know the witness stand or you, you're a juror and you're hearing our statement, it's I seize this, I seize that, I then went on to seize this and then seize that. Yeah. And when you're doing that a thousand times, yeah, it it's not quite like the uh, fast-paced no, I know, TV I show. It was. Yeah. Right. So next question: What drives you to work so hard? I mean that's that's a that's a hard question to answer, isn't it? Um, I think it's multiple things. I mean, I definitely want to say you know it, I am very passionate about my job, and I like to catch bad guys. It's what I signed up for, um, <laughs> and putting bad guys away is a very rewarding thing. Um, but I mean, I think it's a bit cliche. I, I think, and I think part of me, to be honest, is also I'm highly competitive. I really, <laughs> really want to do well. I really want to beat beat everybody, beat the bad guys. Um, so. Yeah, I think there's just some some kind of element of that that competitive n- nature that just thinks, well, just keep going, keep finding that that next gear, to to keep pounding on and keep thinking five steps ahead and thinking faster. Um, yeah, so it's it's not. I'd love to say it's you know that I'm super passionate about making community safer, and I am, I am definitely. But it's you know when you're you've done your fiftieth hour of a shift. Um, it, this, you need that extra something just to kind of kick on and keep going. And I think that for me, that's just it's that competitive nature to just keep doing better. Yeah, I, um, I think that helps. I think yeah, that competitive nature is probably what got you working that fifty-second hour. You know, that fifty-first hour, maybe the bad guy had one up on you, but you weren't going to let that happen. <laughs> You're going to see yeah. it through oh, the fifty-second hour. Yeah, um, <laughs> it sounds tough. I think that's true. I think you know when you're you're knackered and you're hungry and you're on your fifth Red Bull, um, <laughs> you know you, it, you've got to find someone else to just kind of keep you motivated and keep you going. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, for me, it's it's that competitive. I mean, what about you, Chris? What 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 fires you up, mate? Oh, I just um, I think it's a privilege to kind of walk into a crime scene it could be say someone's house if they've been burgled or it could be like a murder scene or a sexual offence scene and um yeah i find it a privilege to to be there be the the person that say people are looking to for those answers um and to be able to give them some answers i mean it doesn't work like that every single time so it's it's not like the tv shows where they walk in and they've solved it within 40 minutes excluding adverts um, <laughs> you know, sometimes it's just there is we can do our best, um, but yeah, sometimes they'll just they'll get away from us. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's what I promise people when I walk into say their home or a crime scene. I promise myself that I I won't solve this case, but what I will do is do my very best to solve the case. And I think that's yeah, that's the best that I can do really. 
Yeah. I think that's the answer I should have given. That is, that was a textbook <laughs> cracking answer. It's that like was. it's like it's been rehearsed, isn't it? <laughs> oh, well, I mean, tell you what, whoever gets to listen to this, they're going to listen to me and think, "What a what <laughs> bit, bit of a knob," and they're going to listen to you and think, "Now that's the uh, that's the next leader of our uh, you know police force." There, that's well, what that, that will come away. They, they're going to think this guy never had any fun at school. <laughs> <laughs> he never had a detention. And you know what? They'd be right. <laughs> Actually, I did tell a lie. I had one detention, but the teacher let me go home early because I helped her clear up the classroom. <laughs> God. Oh, dear. Oh, what? So, yeah. All right, welcome back, everyone. Um, so the first question you're probably thinking is, is the role of a crime scene investigator the right job for you? Um, I'll pass you over to Adam, and he will talk about the, say, the difficulties that crime scene investigators have, um, the kind of qualities that you might need to need to show, and the things you need to prepare yourself for. So, Adam, take it away. So the first thing you, you know, you're going to need to ask yourself, guys, is are you interested in lab work or are you looking for field work? Um, so two very different kind of forensic sides of the same coin, as it were. Um, obviously, we're more of the experts and the field side of work, but we work very closely with lab-based. Um, so, yeah, ask yourselves, do I want to be out and about every day um, doing hands-on or do I want to be in the lab analysing and processing the evidence that's coming into me? Um, dependent on those decisions, you know, they don't necessarily influence your program of decisions of like what kind of courses I want to take um, too much, but it would certainly be important for your mindset of where you think you want to go and how you want to approach. So have that conversation with yourself first of all and think, well, what sort of person, job do I want to do? Um, first things first, I think no matter which department you work in, especially if you're field work, you know, there are some real pros and some real cons, um, but you know, prepared for a lot of hard work. Um, the hours can be extraordinarily long. Um, you're going to be in some pretty grim environments, possibly. Um, but on the same time, flip side, you can be in some amazing environments. I've certainly been places that no member of the public will ever get to see. You know, premises of royalty. Um, that you know, in their bedroom, you know, no member of the public is ever going to see that. I've seen the view from. Lord and Ladies Chambers, you know, it's amazing. Um, and that's all down to this kind of job. So prepared for long hours, but it has uh, positives as well. Um, it can be quite an antisocial job as well. Um, you know, if you're going to be working for many police forces, they introduce a shift pattern. So, you know, you'll either be working early, late, through the night on calls. Um, and it could be a real pain sometimes if you've got a social life. All your friends are going to be booking in their parties and meeting up last minute for beers and drinks. And you know you're not going to be able to always be there, unfortunately. Um, so be prepared for a little bit of an antisocial role, um, but it does make your rest days far more glorious because you appreciate them far more. I, I personally think. Um, but pros, I mean, you're going to have some great teamwork and you're going to make some amazing friends um, because you're in such a hard environment, dealing with sometimes the, the worst society has. Um, you'll bond with you know your colleagues and teammates that you work with in a, a way that most normal members of the public don't really appreciate. Um, you know, I've certainly got some of some of my best friends in work um, and some of the, the kind of the, the close bondness that we have, the close bonds that we have 
are um, far more different from my friends outside of work as well. Thank you very much. Yep. <laughs> Sorry, Chris. I wasn't including you. Oh. Uh, no. <laughs> um, and and I think you know, it's once in a life experiences is what you'll get out out of working in in this field. If you if you are looking for that sort of once in a lifetime story, um, once in a lifetime opportunity to change society, um, I think that's a really important thing to to highlight mm. on. If you wanted to do this job for money, probably don't. It, mm. You know, you don't come into this job for making big bucks because we're we're public sector and it's, that's not what we're here for. Yeah. Um, you know, the pay's not terrible. Don't get me wrong. You can live very comfortably, but I think what your primary driving factor needs to be is wanting to make your community and your society uh, a better place to be. Mm. Um, and I don't think many jobs out there really provide that, other than you know this sort of thing, um, and you know your emergency services that sort of thing. Um, so, you know, if you're sitting there and thinking, well, I love all those things and I'm not scared of a bit of hard work and long hours, um, then, you know, you're probably already on the right track for finding the job that the t- right job for you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like one of the biggest shocks to people say coming out of university where they've got this very kind of uh, big social group um, where they would be out, say, at the weekends and things um, is that yeah you're going from that and then you're going on to this shift pattern and it could be that you've got to travel for your job as well mm. and that can be a bit of a, a kind of culture shock to them really um so i'd say just prepare yourself for yeah like a big kind of a change in the way your kind of life pans out and and what you do uh day to day week to week i think some of our colleagues have loads of friends from uni i don't mm. know how some of them do it be organised. I think that's it. Yeah. Uh, one of the lasses who's got like a million and one friends, uh, she has a diary. She's constantly planning ahead. I mean, I'm I'm not organised enough. I can't even organise what I'm having for lunch, let alone yeah. um, something that far in advance. But if you want a social life, like a really intense social life, you can do it. You just could be a bit more organised, yeah. I think. Um, apart from when you get called out at like three in the morning and then you've got to kind of do your day's shift and then get home and then then people are like, do you want to still meet up? And you're like, not for like 48 hours, no. The party might still be going after you've uh, finished your call out. Who knows? That's true. I mean, maybe you can rock up all ready, ready, to, yeah. you know, ready to go. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, you know, it's there's pros and cons with any job, mm. um, I, I think. But I think the types of pros, being a police officer or any emergency services or specifically forensics, gives you is you're going to do bits and pieces you know things that no member of the public or no other business can offer you um this this is an, an awesome opportunity yeah yeah definitely so yeah we, we touched upon uh like the the lab work versus the field work um now i i think i'll speak for you as well i could never work in a lab i think i would get a bit too bored but then that's not to say that lab work isn't boring. It is um, still such an important part of uh, forensic um, forensic science. And, you know, like uh, when I'm stood there in the pouring rain at like two o'clock in the morning, I've got trying to fingerprint something and yeah, the wind is just blowing the powder all in my face. And then I think about that person uh, in their ISO lab that is absolutely spotless because the accreditation means it's got to be. Um, yeah, I think, should I have chosen to work in a <laughs> <laughs> so, oh. so, yeah, there are there are pros and cons both sides, I think, um, whether you want to work on the field or in a lab. Um, so, yeah, just ask yourself what you prefer, really. Um, are you more of an inside person or more, the, more of an outside person? 
I am totally an outside person. Growing up, when I went to college, and we should probably touch on this later, mm. I did one of these uh, insights tests. Like they, you know, you're at A levels, and they you fill out like 150 questions, and it tells you what what sort of job you'd like moving mm. forward. And I got would do well in administration, office-based sort of roles. I can't think of anything bloody worse for me. <laughs> I'm the walls in 30 seconds. I've got to be always doing something out outdoors, getting in, yeah. you know, stuck in the thick of it. Um, you know, I've, that's just not who I am. I'm not wow. a, a lab type person. But I mean, I've done tours of the labs. I've been mm. up and visited some of the, the largest um, forensic providers. And um, I mean, their labs are amazing. Mm. And the scientists are outstanding, mm. they're world-class. You know, the, the, the stuff they can do is just insane. Um, and I'm only full of admiration. It's mm. just, I couldn't, I couldn't be indoors for that long. I just, no. you know, I think it takes, that sort of person, somebody's going to be listening to this and go, well, I'd hate to go outside all that time. Are you yeah. joking? Um, perfect. You're the person that I want to be <laughs> teaching, telling me, you know, what, what my blood is coming back to, who, who does it belong to, profile it for me, you know, give me some ancestry history on that blood. Thank you very yeah. much. Um, but yeah, I, I just, it's not for me. I'm, a, I'm an outdoors in the, in the mud, dirt, dirt and down and dirty. <laughs> so after that test, was that like a turning point in your life? Was that the kind of, you know, like moments you have in films where, you know, they suddenly realise what they're meant to do? Um. No. <laughs> no, you know, if, we'll, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about kind of how, what our career path was, and you'll kind of find out mine was a little bit more haphazard uh, <laughs> than maybe some people would like. I mean, I, I read that, and the thing I took away from that primarily was uh, these tests are crap. <laughs> um, you know, they can kind of give you an idea of what's out there but I mean personally when I was growing up I found co my careers section was really inadequate um, and you know one of the things I'd love to do is talk to you guys who are listening and kind of give you some careers advice from a forensic perspective because mine was so poor hmm. um, and nobody ever turned around and said these sort of jobs are out there You can anybody can hmm. do this um, so you know that was what I took away from that was my careers teacher or I won't blame the teacher but the, the, the lesson um, mm. was just naff really was naff <laughs> that's what I took away from that yeah because I mean I've been to schools before I'm sure you have and I think it just it inspires the kids doesn't it not just that but you can see on the teachers faces that they're really interested and I think god if the teachers are interested then the kids must be um, and it's it's just knowing that jobs are out here and for the kids to realise that actually if we knuckle down and work hard this is the end result, this is what we can do and I think sometimes kids need that, don't they? Because you do your exams and you think what are all these for? Um, but if you can actually go in there and tell kids that, you know, if you get an A, B, C or whatever in your GCSEs this this will put you on the path to doing a job like this. We did a, well I did a, a thing with um, a local school near us, well, I said local school down the road um, and the the school did all these kind of like every year goes off on a trip and does something fancy and wonderful um, and all the children that were let's say misbehaving <laughs> um, weren't allowed to go on these trips because you know they were they were naughty children um, these were you know sort of kids that were just starting to come to police attention um, and we put together a little kind of uh, kind of uh, engagement project so we can go and see them and went down and the, when we first met these kids they pretty much were like yeah whatever copper 
you know, effing pig, whatever, mate. And you just kind of, you go, oh, all right, yeah, it's very original. Let's just roll with it. And then I got them all doing like fingerprinting, making a mess. I mean, we, we completely caked the side of this school, like massive glass, <laughs> setting up 20 foot massive glass walls, just caked it in fingerprint powder. It was great. I loved it. <laughs> but, you know, while they're having fun, they've all come away going, and then they start asking like questions about, oh, well, is that a fingerprint? Okay, well, how do you do it? What does your job entail? And away we went. And I've got to say, by the end of the day, three of the naughtiest kids came up to me and said, is it too late for me to become a crime scene <laughs> investigator? I mean, whether or not six months down the line they go, I'm not interested anymore. They briefly had that engagement and kind mm. of realised, well, actually, I'm capable of doing this, mm. and they are. You know, anybody can. Um, and it, it it gives kids that opportunity to see there's different op- you know different avenues to take. You know, it's not all about wearing the black police uniform and catching bad guys. It's a different mm. way to it. Um, and they had a great time. So yeah, I think. Um, you know, there's so many ways to, to inspire. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, because these kids, I'm no child psychologist, but these kids might have just been bored and you've given them something that's really, really interesting that they're thinking, oh, actually, yeah, if I, if I spend my life doing this, then, yeah, I'm going to be, my my life's going to be quite fulfilled, really. And, and that's what I love about this job as well, is that, yeah, no two days are the same. Um, it's problem solving. You're finding things that, say, you can't see with the naked eye sometimes. Um, and yeah, it, it, it is pretty exciting. Um, I think yeah, maybe kids just need to see more jobs that are like that out there. Yeah, not everything's educational and you know written down and A B C. Sometimes it's hands on and a bit of fun, mm. um, and you get paid to do it. Wee! There's <laughs> a bonus, isn't it? Um, so we'll move on to uh, like what grades you need and things like that and say the GCSEs that you can take um, now it's, it's been a little while since I've been at school but I know that there was a, a double award science when I was there uh, was there like a triple award science was it still double I haven't got a clue and I, you know what you're saying GCSEs I don't even have GCSEs anymore mate oh they're not they're like rather than ABCs isn't it like one two three it's number system now. Yeah. Uh, so you can't get like a big fat F on your uh, <laughs> on your report. You got S? No, no, no. I no. got news. I, <laughs> I can spell fudge. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> oh dear. But yeah. Um, so yeah, like the the kind of GCSEs or the equivalent GCSEs that you will you will need to do our job are maths, English, and science. Um, Obviously, you use like that scientific part of your brain quite a lot. Uh, English, you'll use that every day in your report writing, your communication. Um, and maths, believe it or not, you need to uh, use maths quite a bit, mostly to work out the mileage in the vehicle logbooks. <laughs> <laughs> it's to add up measurements. Like yeah. When you're measuring something from a wall, you go, I've got a really short tape measure. So you yeah. have to start adding like five metres per two metres. That's normally where I start having that. But, but what I love uh, teaching teaching kids about um, is bloodstain pattern analysis and the use of trigonometry for bloodstain pattern analysis. <laughs> because like you will be there in your maths class, and I remember being sat there and working out like the angle of the corner of a triangle or the distance when you've got two angles or something like that. And I just remember being sat there thinking. When uh, when on earth am I ever going to need to know the angle of this triangle? Like, 
the only time I can think of it is someone comes up to me with a gun and says, quick, work out the, <laughs> the angle of this triangle, otherwise you're going to get it. <laughs> that's, the only, that's the only thing that I could think of. But then when I uh, started learning about bloodstain pattern analysis, I then realised that you can work out the angle at which a bloodstain has impacted by measuring the bloodstain, and then there's a trigonomic, is that the word, trigonomic equation? I don't know, Chris, you're the, you're the BPA expert, not me. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but I'm not an expert in trigonometry. <laughs> no, I've seen your maths working. <laughs> yeah, maybe I shouldn't show my workings. <laughs> Keep that under my, uh, under my up my sleeve. Um, so yeah, you use trigonometry um, to work out the angle at which a bloodstain has, say, come into contact with the surface, uh, and then you can work out, say, the height that the, the blood was deposited, and that can be quite crucial, say, if you've got people that um, are going down, oh, it was self-defense, and then you think, well, actually, the person who was uh, ejecting all this blood from, from a wound was actually quite low down on the on the ground, and yeah, it kind of contradicts your your version of self-defense so yeah when when you say, when you say that actually learning the angle of a triangle could potentially help convict a murderer or something like that then kids are a little bit more interested in little triangles um very niche subject matter you're trying to push to the kids oh uh, yeah <laughs> blood pattern analysis when you get a bit older you'll need this i reckon pretty much every kid would go blood what <laughs> <laughs> Every kid learns it, and there's probably about 30 of them in the country that BPA yeah. experts. Hey, well, you know what? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, like, your your GCSE courses, I think they're kind of... Um, I don't know if they do forensic GCSE courses no, when I mean, you're in all, school. They're all pretty set. I mean, every yeah. school is going to have a very similar GCSE standard with your one, two, three, four grades. Um, I think... You know, it's just important to highlight, you know, it is worthwhile really focusing on your sciences, your English, your maths, like we've said. Um, but I think the most important thing is just have fun. Yeah. At this stage in your education, it's important to get good grades, of course it is. But it's also important to have a really good time and enjoy learning mm. um, and enjoy kind of forming those relationships because all these extra skills you are learning at school that you might not realise you're learning are going to become really fundamental mm. later on in life, like communication skills or the written word or how you present yourself, all these different things will come in very handy. The best way to do that, have a good time at school <laughs> and just enjoy every subject. Do, yeah. do your best um, and then, yeah, just focus on making sure you get those English, maths and science grades that, you know, you, you think you need. But also, like, I don't know about you, Chris, when I was doing my GCSEs, I thought I wanted to be initially an architect, then I wanted to be a zoologist, yeah. uh, then I wanted to be a marine biologist because I like whales. Um, <laughs> And then I realised, crikey, you've got to be like put seven years education in to become a, like a vet or whatever it is. And mm. I was like, I'm, I'm too too impatient to do that. Um, I think you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do at the end of my GCSEs. Yeah. I think, you know, I don't think many kids do, and I, I don't think it's bad to kind of finish your GCSEs and not quite really know what education you want to do or what career you want to do five, ten years down the line. Yeah. Um, so you know, I don't think you know for parents listening to this and thinking, Christ, I really want my child to explore this sort of avenue um i don't think they need to panic at all at the, at the moment just no. make sure everybody's doing their best and having a good time doing it yeah because i mean i always wanted to be a train driver until i found out that they all didn't have faces on um and then oh, the train <laughs> as in thomas the <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I used to... 
yeah, that is some sick, twisted, like, version. You know, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Thomas the Tank Engine. I used to love Thomas the Tank Engine, so I always wanted to be a train driver. Uh, and then now I'm sat here thinking, well, I'd probably double my salary if I kept on that dream alive. Yeah, I was about to think, definitely. <laughs> if you're listening to this and you, you want a, a good, cushy job, train driver. That's, yeah. Uh, that's the one we all want to get into. Um, but going back to what you said uh, before with uh, just enjoying school, um, I think if you enjoy what you're doing, you do better at it. Um, yeah. And I think what you just said is, is you down to a T, really. I mean, I can always see how much you enjoy your job and how you enjoy, say, helping people, and then you've got that problem of, oh my God, we don't know who this offender is. Adam, can you tell us who it is? And you just always take the ball by its horns, be like, yeah, I'm going to do that. And you can just see how much you enjoy it, and I think that's what makes you so good at your job, really. Um, I wasn't smiling after three hours, four hours in the sweat box. Up in the <laughs> <cannabis factory. laughs> yeah, no, I, I think, you know... You're probably drooling, not smiling. <laughs> It's all a blur. I don't really know what <laughs> I just came out with lots of evidence and thought, well, winner, winner. Um, no, I, I think, you know, you're right. I think if you enjoy what you do, you're going to be much better. It's all extrinsic, extrinsic versus intrinsic uh, mm. kind of motivations. And if you can find an intrinsic motivation, one that you're motivated by yourself, you know, science has, you know, proven that um, you'll always do a lot better. You're, mm. You know, science has proven uh, that you'll get better pay you'll get a better you know enjoyment out of your out of life um you're more likely to get promoted all these positive things um are there so if you can find something um amazing i I think a lot of people you know they don't i think we're really lucky in that we have found something we can get really excited about like proper little nerds yeah um but you know it does make life a lot easier i get still get excited about going to work and it's so cheesy to say um but it is true and i think you know i'm super lucky to be able to to say that when you know I look at people like my you know maybe my friends who are kind of like well I'll go to work but I'm not really looking forward to it I'm looking forward to the weekend mm. um, whereas I'm like what's a weekend I haven't had one of those in about six weeks <laughs> um, but you know that's what if you find a, you know your motivation for something you love you know whoever's listening even if you t- later on you think I want to do forensics and you change your mind because you find something you love that's different mm. that's great I think that's important yeah because um, yeah. I think I always wanted to be like a granddad that has lots of grandkids that just sits them all around and be like, but let me tell you some stories about when I was back at work, you know, when I was a younger lad and things. And yeah, I've already got plenty of stories and I'm what, 30, 32? Um, I'm sure your you... Your would be your grandkids go, shut up, granddad, I don't want to hear this. You told it like nine times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I want to go back to keeping up with the Kardashians. They're all yeah. 80, but <laughs> still yeah, interesting. Now. Yeah. <laughs> My PlayStation 17. <laughs> oh dear. So moving on from GCSEs, you've you've passed your GCSEs. Well done. You've now made the the rank of college and A levels. Um, what should like what subjects should people be looking for when they get to A levels? Because now you're you're making choices, aren't you? So if you don't if you don't want to do maths, then you don't have to do maths. But yeah, uh, you've got the options, and what should kind of people be be choosing? I, I think if we went, let's go with the obvious. Things like sciences and maths are always going to be, hot, you know, hot topics. They're always going to be. They're going to serve you well in life, whether or not you're going into degree or you're going straight into 
employment in an emergency service, they'll always do you really well. Um, they're always sought after. So, you know, we're always going to say a science, any of the three sciences, physics, chemistry, biology, um, maths, it's always going to be great. But I think I like variety. Mm. I think you, college offers some wonderfully unique subjects you can learn. If you can find a forensic A-level, amazing. That That is brilliant. And it's probably going to give you the best insight into whether or not you like a career moving forward. Mm. Um, you know, if you finish your A-level and you think, I love this, then, you know, you, you know where your time is going to be invested. But you, you finish it and go, maybe maybe it's not for me. Maybe I want to try a different mm. area of science. Then that's a great opportunity. But not everywhere offers forensic, you know, A-levels. So they are quite few and far between. Um, but I think variety, something you enjoy, like we're saying, that, that enjoyment factor. Mm. Because what you're also looking for is points to get into university. If you want to go to university, you're looking for points, you want to do well, and you're going to do well in a subject that you love. I mean, for my A-levels, I did history, art, and, oh, what else did I do? Classical <laughs> civilizations, that was it. My teacher, she, it, she'd be like, oh, thanks for all that hard work. <laughs> um, so, because I thought this time I was going to be an architect. So I did art, two histories, two different types mm. of history. I thought architecture, that's what mm. I wanted to do. Um, yeah, I'm not even close to that now. Um, but, you know, it, I enjoyed it. So I, as a result, I did better in the subjects and they gave me points to move forward because by the end of my A-levels, I actually completely changed my perspective on what I wanted mm. to do. See, I told you earlier, I kept changing, chopping and changing. I didn't know what <laughs> I wanted to do. Um, but also, in forensics, I think we're a weird mixed bunch. We know a lot of stuff about a lot of stuff. Mm. And if you start doing, let's say, an A-level in art, that's going to serve you brilliantly if you end up doing physics down the line, at forensics even down the line, because you're going to do a lot of diagrams. You do a lot of hand drawing. You do a lot of kind of arty-farty stuff. Um, but if you ended up doing, I don't know, dance, that can still have application because you start looking at stride pattern, you start looking at footwear because you're wearing different shoes and then funnily enough, all of a sudden that kind of folds back into mm. the role and the number of times we're talking to each other and somebody goes, oh, I know something like a random fact that I learned at school because I did a random subject. Mm. Um, you know, it's, it's amazingly relevant actually. Um, I think just important thing is, you know, do something you're passionate about. Um, and again, I, I think it's important to, to focus. If you are super focused on, I want to do forensics, you know, I think art and science, uh, maths and science are your subjects. But if you weren't 100% sure, I don't think it would be the end of the world. If you just found something that you were passionate about and focused on getting a good grade, full stop. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, in, in a nutshell, I think, yeah, that's, that's pretty much what you should do, really, is not get too perhaps beaten up about, oh, I need to choose the right subjects or anything just choose something you enjoy because then there's more chance that you will pass and succeed at it um, and know that whatever kind of subjects you take it's not going to be too crucial I mean if, if you were to get an A-level in science that might steer you better than if you were to get an A-level in your example that you use dance but it doesn't mean it's the it's the be all and end all um, and yeah I think if that because um, I mean if I give you an example of what I took I took uh, media studies music IT and maths with mechanics so that is a complete mixed bag <laughs> um, and I took all those subjects because I had no idea what I wanted to do I left school um, went to college and yeah just didn't have a clue so I thought I'm gonna choose some subjects like IT and maths that could help me down the road but also choose some subjects that interested me, um, such as media studies and music. Um, 
and yeah, I mean, I haven't broken out my saxophone in the office, so that hasn't really helped me with <laughs> my <Thank> career. God. <laughs> oh God, I think back to my parents and all that they had to endure when I was learning the saxophone, because yeah, I started watching those YouTube cl- YouTube clips of. of you know, kids that are just picking up instruments for the first time, and I was laughing at them, and then I stopped laughing, and then I realised, oh my god, I I was once that kid, um, my poor parents, mm-hmm. and saxophones aren't cheap either, so I. Yeah. Yeah. So I did piano, but my parents were smart enough; they bought me the electric piano, so I could put the head headphones in. Oh, yeah. So all you could hear was just silent pressing of keys. Yeah. Which, you know, must have saved them so much pain. Yeah. <laughs> if ever your parents meet my parents. Don't get them to bring that up because. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, now you've told me the saxophone story. I think uh, I know what's going to happen at the Christmas party. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. There you Pretty go. That, that, there you that's that's how it's uh, assisted my uh, my career playing saxophone at a Christmas party potentially. But um, but yeah, it just goes to show that it doesn't matter what uh, what you do. Um, it's more about you gaining that say experience um, and. Yeah, everything that you learn at college can be kind of tailored to this, really. Um, should we move on to the next step, kind of university now? Yeah, I think before we do, it's important to, I think we should mention that it used to be that we don't require applicants to have a degree. Mm. I think one of the most common questions we got asked is, do I need a degree to do what you do? Mm. Some forces are, are still the way that we used to be. So we used to say you don't need a degree because we teach you everything you need to know. Um, mm. And actually you'll earn your degree through the job, mm. um, you know, in forensics. But I think now the, the quality of applicant and the number of applicants we get now and the way modern policing is pushing, we're, we're, we're now pushing towards needing that higher caliber of learner. Mm. Um, and as a result, we now require you to have a degree. Um, so that doesn't mean you know, we're talking from the, the capacity of the counties that we work for and know. Um, but there are, I know, still some counties out there um, that don't require you to have a degree to, to join. Mm. Um, it just might um, influence the way that they expect you to, to learn. So you might have to do an extra two weeks uh, course just to, to fill the gap or anything like that. So don't be completely put off if you know you have, go, I haven't got a degree, but all I want to do is forensics. Um, Contact your local counties. Count, you know, look further afield. Ask them, um, because some don't. Um, but we'll carry on in the way that we do, and that we need you to have a degree. So we'll we'll chat about that. But I just thought mm. it's probably important. Just quickly throwing that out there. Yeah, and I guess it's best for these um, students to say um, contact maybe their local force and just see their requirements. If they're rumming and ahhing on whether or not to go for a degree, and they're set on this as the career of their choice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, as well, you know, we're, we're assuming that we are talking about younger uh, applicants, for example, people who have just come out of college. Um, if you're an old applicant, if you are slightly more mature and you have uh, much more work experience and life experience, that can fill the gap between uh, mm-hmm. the requirement for a degree. So if, for example, if you have a plethora of experience dealing with, um, oh, for an example, a science background. So let's say you were a pharmacist, for example. Mm. Um, that may very well give you the experience that we require to fill the gap for the degree. Um, it's, it's again, it's just about building the bridge between, um, you know, being a young individual who doesn't have a huge amount of life experience and needing that experience. Mm. So we use those, that, a degree to fill that gap, but also obviously life 
um, will give you that experience as well. So if you are an older listener as well, I say older, that sounds so horrible. If you are a more experienced listener, love it. Like yep. it. Um, I would say, you know, again, don't think, crikey, I've got to now sign up for a degree. That's three yeah. years of my life for crikey. Yeah. Um, don't worry too much. Think about, you know, what you've learned and what you've done. And I imagine some of the experiences that you have just from living um, will fill the criteria that we need. Yeah. So again, you know, it's about reach out, have a chat with the, yeah. the careers advice from each of your forces and ask. Because yeah. I remember I was giving someone some advice. I think they were going uh, for a job for our forensic recovery unit, which yeah. is your more kind of like lab-based um, lab based work. Uh, and she said, oh, I don't really have much of a science-y background and this, this is asking me for investigative skills. And I, I'm not coming from a police background, so I've never investigated like crimes or anything like that. I said to her, "But have you investigated anything? Like, have like you ever had to say investigate a member of staff? Maybe they weren't doing something to your, like the equivalent of our code of ethics. Um, were they misbehaving or anything like that that you've then had to say get evidence for and I think um, that prompted her to say oh actually yeah um, you've made me think of an actual time where I've got an example for like her investigative skills so it doesn't have to be sort of police orientated or you don't have to come from a forensic science background like you said Um, you've just got to have those skills that are easily transferable whether or not that is say from a university course or if you're a little bit more experienced, that's just from your general life experience or, or work experience that you've had. Um, so don't think the doors are, are closed to you just because you haven't got a, say, forensic degree or a degree or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I've had the question, what degree do I need to take? Should I take a forensic science degree? Um, and I... I sometimes I say to people if you know that it's definitely 100% what you want to do then do do that degree what you could consider is that you come out of university uh, with say all your peers you've all got this forensic uh, science degree and you're all fighting for say one or two jobs or something like that um, it is quite a niche subject Whereas if you were to take, say, a science at university and then maybe do a master's in forensic science, something like that, I think that might have a f- give you a few more doors uh, open after, after, at the end of it. Um, but what do, you, what do you think, Adam? Yeah, I think, you know, if you're going to do a degree, um, understand that there are other aspects that we'll talk about in a minute that you, you, you'd still need. Um, you know, a lot of people now have degrees. Forensics is a sexy subject, so a lot yeah. of people are taking the course. And you know, like you said, you've got 200 people in your class. You're all graduating with the same degree, and then you're all going to try and apply for, let's say, you know, five jobs. Somebody's going to miss out. So how do you kind of make yourself better or more, you know, more um, a- a- appealing to your employer? And I think you know, one of the most important things is look at the type of degree you're doing, and look at what they offer. A lot of the degrees, you know, pretty much every uni now supplies degrees, and you know, a lot of them are brilliant degrees. But everybody seems to do something slightly different. Mm. Look for ones that offer you something that's more a appealing to you, but also more relevant to the type of field you're looking for. So, if you want to be a lab-based forensic uh, scientist, look for a degree that gives you more opportunities to do first-hand 
lab-based work. A lot will give you kind of opportunity to do some work experience. Some have some incredible facilities where you can actually do it yourself. Um, you know, I, I, with my degree, um, I went to Portsmouth. They have their own forensic crime scene house. So I was able to do first-hand work on a crime scene. Hmm. You know, look for something that offers you that opportunity, not just learning from uh, a textbook or from a, your, you know, your professor. Look for something that gives you that opportunity to do something a little bit more unique, a little bit more different from everybody else, hmm. and allow you to do that first-hand um, work. You know, and as well, look at the type of lecturers they're going to get in. Look at the type of people they get in. Are they all going to be done by, um, uh, you know, campus staff? Or do they get experts in, in their field? Do they get crime scene investigators to come in and give first-hand explanations about what the job entails, how it's done, life experience stories, you know, that unique insight into the world that gives you that something special that's different from everybody else. Um, so take time, look at the courses, look at what's right for you. People travel, you know, very, very far to, to go to, to university these days. Um, it's not like you're stuck looking at the one in the same county. And let's be honest, we all want to get away from our parents. So, yeah, <laughs> further away possible, just close enough that when you run out of money or washing, you can just That's right, yeah. you know, get something home fairly easily. Um, <laughs> unless you're hardcore, then you go to Glasgow or something, completely opposite yeah. end of the country. Um, yeah, so, you know, I think just take a bit of time and look at what they're offering. Everybody's offering something. So look at the different modules and find something that appeals to you. Um, and then and go from there, really, mm. I think, is one of the first starting things. But it doesn't have to, you know, if you're sitting there going, well, I've got a degree, but my degree's in finance. That's fine. We, mm. You know, we're looking for a degree. Um, you know, having a degree in forensics gives you that slight upper hand, definitely, because you have that more insight, that slightly different understanding. Um, but if you've got a degree in finance, it's still a degree. It shows you that, have that you have mm. that high level of ability of learning. So don't be, don't be put off at all by it. Um, just start looking at kind of what other life experience have I got that I can mm. offer that makes me that little bit more standing out of the yeah. crowd. So I think when people are, say students are looking around universities or if they have like those, I remember those days where all the universities would come round and you'd have like stalls for each university and you go around and you ask them stuff. What kind of questions should students be asking um, these universities? I think the first thing is, I'd, I'd ask is literally to call them out, what what are you doing that's different from the other universities I've viewed? Mm. You know, will I get first-hand practice at, you know, the subject I'm fighting for? So if you are doing a forensic course, say, will I get first-hand experience of doing forensics? And mm. what are they? And if they turn around and go, well, you get, you know, one here, one there, maybe maybe you want to have a look a little bit more um, around, you know, ask them what type of companies and people and individuals do you get in to talk to me? You know, even if you're a student and you think, I want more, um, you know, contact us. We, we can give you a little bit more guidance. But I, I think, for me, the one thing that swung it for me when I was choosing my degree was, A, they said, I get first-hand experience. But also, the lecturers and the people that were getting in were doing some incredible current cases. I mean, the big one that was Stephen Lawrence um, mm. when I went through university. And one of my uh, primary lectures was a major participant in the um, development of, you know, looking into Stephen Lawrence murder how that affected the police, how the police should evolve and how we needed to improve. Mm -hmm. and they were primarily involved in that. To have that first-hand insight where you got to learn from the person that was writing the document, mm. you learn so much better than you will from somebody who's reiterating a book or reading a book because yeah. you, you're hearing it first-hand, you're captivated. plus there's always extra juicy bits that you don't hear in the book. I mean, how many stories can we give 
that you're never going to hear on TV yeah. or any, in any book. Yeah. We can give you the details verbally. <laughs> you can't necessarily write them down. And it's little things like that that go a long way to helping you learn yeah. and understand. Um, you know, the number of times that somebody would give me some first-hand, like, here's an example of when I dealt with, you know, a decapitation. I'm hooked. Mm. Oh, my God. You know, next thing you know, before you know, you'll come away, um, I've I've remembered half the skeletal layout. Well, how did I do that? Because I was interested, I was captivated by an interesting first-hand learning. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's the most important thing. And then, you know, you want to look at the facilities. Has it got a good nightlife? Let's be honest, we all need a good pint or (laughs) ten and a few shots and a dirty takeaway at the end. Um, And knowing that your dorm room is uh, pretty near to whatever pub. Yeah, Yeah, that's it. But we should, no, we shouldn't do that. You should be good and you should be studying, (laughs) not drinking. Um, I I mean, they're the ones I would always, always think about. Um, I don't know, Chris, what would, what would sort of ones would you? So, uh, yeah, if I was coming up with some questions, I'd, I think your one about what sets you apart from the other universities is very good. Um, will there be kind of practical aspects to it? Um, kind of maybe what c- kind of cases am I going to learn about? What are you going to teach me to do? So, example, um, are we going to cover everything from, say, fire scenes to uh, sexual offences and whatnot? And how are we going to investigate those for, like, a fire scene? I think the best way to learn about how a fire is caused and what it looks like is to set fire to something. Yeah. So um, I maybe wouldn't open with that question, like, can I set fire to something? Um, <laughs> because the university might not welcome welcome you in. But <laughs> maybe, yeah, you, yeah. Don't set fire to your dorm rooms. Like, <laughs> what forensic science? I'm, I'm, yeah. the I'm learning. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that practical aspect is is very important um, because that is what you're going to be doing day to day, really. Yeah, I think. I few unis have close relationships with police forces um I, we've got a, a few colleagues of our own who i think they beat others to the post as it were because they had first had experience working in police environments mm. that goes a huge way if you can say Look, i've already worked for a police force um to, to get to that stage you've got to clear vetting so mm. you know you've got to have a clear background you've got to show good character you've got to work in an environment to understand how police forces work is a whole learning environment in mm. itself so to turn up and say, oh, I did that at university as part of one of my modules, you know, that's a great separator from you and other degree courses. Mm. So, you know, see if your university op- offers you the opportunity um, to, to look into that. Yeah, definitely. So I think we'll, we'll move on to our next topic, which I think you've, um, yeah, you just touched upon is the, say, the application process and interview process and... Yeah, so you've done your you've done your university degree. You're now ready to kind of hit the uh, the career field, make some money for yourself, uh, and you've got that daunting process of looking for jobs, putting your name out there, applying for them, and then you get that kind of very exciting but very nervous feeling of oh my goodness, I've got an interview now. Um, so how should someone say prepare for the application and interview? Pro- I guess firstly. Um, what can they expect from the application and interview process for a CSI? I think first things first, applications, the best place to find an application from an external candidate's point of view is look at every police force you want to work for or private companies. So, you know, there are many companies such as uh, Cellmark and all these other big providers out there. Um, 
look at their websites, see what jobs they're offering, and apply. Um, from a police side of things, applications, we should probably say they're not fast. Um, it does take a bit of time for police forces to look at them primarily because we have so many applicants now. Um, the job primarily, you know, we don't want a CV. So a lot of people try and attach a CV. Um, unfortunately, we don't want that. We will provide you a template online for you to fill out um, and just work your way through that, be as accurate, be as correct as possible. And then the real skill primarily is in writing what we call our key skills, experience and knowledge. So you'll get a packet that will list lots of information about what the job entails. Look for the piece that says key skills and experience, and it could be about five to 15 different key, key, key subjects. That's what we're looking for. You can, don't worry about too much about the rest, focus on those points, and just take time to evidence each piece. Hmm. And that's a real skill. I mean, I've been in this job for so long, and I've only just about got it under, under you know, down to a T now. Um, so take your time, think about experiences and opportunities and learning and education mm -hmm. that you've done that meets that. And then be concise, be concise. My, my, my fault was always, I was way too wordy. I mm. like to write, I've just come out of writing a dissertation, you know, I'm gonna give you 10,000 words. Now reading applications, when we get out of CSI supply, I don't want that. Short to the point, bullet points work well for me. Um, and just literally, you know, I, I have this skill because I did this, you know. So mm -hmm. tell me, what, tell me what you did, um, and tell you how you did it. Star is the the acronym we love to use, uh, which is what was the situation, what was your task, what were your actions, and what your, were your results. If you can stick to that principle within your answers, you can't go wrong. Mm -hmm. And um, I think Star is very good for the interview process. I think that's um, what kind of yeah. If you're doing a competency, competency interview. Um, that is the model that you kind of want to be following um, but yeah for like the application process I'd say that if um, if it says on the application right now list all your skills and experience you've got a maximum of 1500 words then you want to be writing 1500 words um, if they don't give you a guide but they give you a blank A4 page to write it or say a box that is the size of an A4 page then you want to write an A4 page um, because yeah I've been speaking to say senior managers before and they've literally had like that section write a maximum of 1500 words and a person has just put a sentence just to say I have a degree in forensic science yeah full stop and then that was it and of course yeah you you might be you might have finished university with the top grades in forensic science but if this is the work you're willing to do on the application process, can you imagine the work that you're willing to do at an actual crime scene? Um, so I would say that, yeah, your application process is a reflection of yourself, um, and that is before we can see and, and talk to you. So you want to sell yourself as best as you can, really, um, and just show show us what you're capable of on paper. Yeah, I think also the way you lay it out, you know, part mm. of the skill we're looking for is the ability to you know, convey yourself effectively in written word. Mm. Um, one of the key skills in, we always put in an application. So if you've got spelling mistakes or if it's really hard to follow your written 1500 words or whatever it might be, that's already going to be a negative mark against you. So mm. take time to think about, you know, how well does this read? Does it read smoothly? Can I see the different points? So have I put enough paragraphs in, you know, is my punctuation correct? 
it seems like a silly thing, but so many people fail to do that. Mm. And it, it, you know, you're already losing points before you've even had a chance to read it. And you know, even though people turn up, like I've had applications, like you said, Chris, where somebody goes, I've got a degree in forensics, mm. well, so it's the other 200 applicants. Um, yeah. Everybody's got that, so that's great. But unless you evidence it, you know, the joy of the police is, you know, if you've got the evidence, that you know, the, the, the job's yours, sort of thing. Mm. Um, you know, we don't want a motive. You know, I, it, my favorite application, one of the favorite applications I've, I've, I've ever received, I can't even remember it all. It literally was pretty much along the lines of, I am amazing. I am an absolute boss, and you'd love to employ me. <laughs> uh, you know, I am a go-getter. I'm a, you know, I, I can sell ice to an, you know, uh, to a somebody in the Arctic. You're all that kind of yeah. really sell ice to an Eskimo. And I read it, and I, I, I sat there. And I thought, I really want to give this guy an interview because, Christy, it'd be great fun. But yeah. he's not evidenced anything. There was no evidence there. Yeah, and I have to give you zero. So even though you know you might have all this fun and you know everything that goes with it unless you've evidenced it my hands are tied the mm. joys of being a you know a public sector worker is that we have processes and procedures in place to stop you know you know our number we've got oh adam uh, i know you mate can i have a job well no it uh, you know we don't work like that it's not favoritism it's not old you know old boys club it's all about the sweat on your brow the ability mm. of your you know your work and what you can evidence and show mm. us um, and it's a lovely transparent system from that regards. Um, so yeah, just remember, we don't want a motive kind of, I'm enthusiastic, can sell ice, ice to an Eskimo. <laughs> Tell me evidence, prove it to me. Yeah. Uh, that's the most important, one of the most yeah. important aspects. Definitely. I think, yeah, you've hit the nail on the head there, proof. You need to prove, back up what you're saying, basically. Um, and so the the interview process. I mean, it's probably changed since we've done it because it's been so long ago, isn't it, that that we've both done it. Um, I think recently, uh, the last round of interviews, it was competency based, wasn't it? So yeah. So I my most recent interview was one for management roles, um, and there has there is now a shift. So we are still competency based, and a lot of forces are now starting to pick up the same national competency based process, um, which means we're going to ask you questions along the lines of, give me an example of when you did so-and-so. Mm. Um, so it's very similar to your application, it's now just spoken word, mm. and now you're, you're conveying it in maybe a bit more detail, it gives you an opportunity mm. to explain it a little bit more. Um, some forces will let you see the questions that you're going to get asked before you enter the interview, so people are often quite surprised at that. We're not trying to catch you out. It's not a trick. It's not a memory game. We want to get the best out of you. We mm. want you to do well. That's the best bit of sitting in an interview panel when you're watching somebody. I really want you to succeed. I want you to blow my socks off. Mm. So you know, a lot of the time, we'll give you every opportunity we can to do that. You know, and it might be we'll ask you prompts. That's not actually going to go against you. You know, if we're asking you know 15 prompts of like trying to get the point out of you, mm. it, you know, of course it will. But you know, if I said, oh, well, what about so and so, you know that's fine it's all mm. about trying to get the best so i think interviews are the most terrifying process and they don't need to be mm. we want you to do well we want you to hear the best the most important thing to remember is cover your point cover your evidence properly but it's storytelling tell mm. me a story tell mm. me a story of when you had to think on your feet tell me of a story when you've had to diffuse an argument that sort of thing mm. just tell me a story um it doesn't have to be overly complex mm. just explain it 
obviously part of the skill is how do you do that concisely because this is one of your tests can you verbally explain something nice and clearly mm. and if you listen to this podcast you're probably thinking he failed <laughs> um, you and me both you know, mate <laughs> yeah stop waffling um, yeah it's just you know don't panic too much about it I think just tell us a story that mm. is really kind of the basic underlying of it yeah and I've I picked a little a trick up um, so if uh, if I answer my question and I don't feel like the answer that I've give has covered say all the points that I think maybe the interviewer wants me to pick up on I'll just quite simply say does that answer your question or yeah. have I covered everything um, and then you can kind of gauge from the interviewer's response that maybe I need to just talk a little bit more or like you say they will just give you like little prompts be like well you hadn't thought about this can you maybe give us an idea of of this um, and then yeah and then that could be that little comment have I answered your question could end up getting you a few more marks perhaps it, um, so I've done that and it's certainly saved my yeah. where I've gone uh, on my odd one, I would do, I've got a couple of examples here. I'll start with my the biggest example that I can think of, and then I'll mm. waffle on about that. And then when I come to, uh, to the end, I'll go, well, w- would you like to hear the second one, or do you feel that the first example has provided enough evidence? Mm. And if they've gone, oh, no, that's absolutely fine, you think, brilliant. I mean, that's got to be <laughs> Thank hard. God, because I didn't have a second example. I was, yeah, just well, trying yeah. <laughs> I was just trying to look good. <laughs> you know, and if they go, they go, give a second example. I think that's actually something we should say is, a lot of people I've spoken to who've done interviews, I've said, oh, how's your interview prep gone? And they've gone, well, I'm just going to turn up. <laughs> you can't do that. No. You know, I would spend hours writing what I'm going to say in an interview. So before you go, you're going to have an idea of what the questions will be. A lot of the time you'll be told now under a competency-based, these are the certain areas we're going to test within the, comp- we call it a competency framework, which mm-hmm. is a really gumpy way of saying uh, these are the sort of, skills and experience and your key attributes we're looking for we mm. put it in writing and we're going to test you on let's say three of them mm. and all you need to do is find an example that meets that skill mm. or that knowledge or whatever it might be which we've told you always find more than one because sometimes they'll ask you a question and i've done this in the past i've been so nervous i've given my best answer first yeah and then they've asked me another question i thought oh no i'm saving that really good one for that question yeah oh no <laughs> and in an interview, you can use the same answer twice. That's another thing I found out that I was very surprised about. You know, you can use the same answer twice. If it meets the same points, you're going to mm-hmm. get the, you know, you'll still get the marks. We won't turn around and go, well, you've used that example twice. That's not good enough. Yeah. But it is really good to show variety because it does show that you've got that depth of experience that we're always looking for. Um, so always have a backup. That's mm. uh, kind of the principle of that one. Yeah. And I think like... Um people often panic because they think that their example needs to be relating to the job um, but of course what you've got to remember as well is that um, most of the people that are going for the job aren't actually already crime scene investigators so we might not necessarily expect all your answers to that you give to be related to the forensic world so it might be that say uh, they ask, I can't think of a question off the top of my head um, it might be to do with um, Gives an example of uh, <laughs> well, conflict resolution. Conflict resolution, so, yeah. There's a prime example. Well, I work in forensics, so I've not really had to have a fight with my, my, my colleagues too much, and <laughs> no. my fingerprints don't seem to put up a much of a fight. But you know, when you're dealing with members of the public, you mm. work conflict resolution. Mm. You, you know, what experience have you got? And I think this gives us an opportunity to have a little bit of a segue. Don't think about everything we want is from your degree. Mm. If I'm brutally honest, when I'm going through an interview process, I love a degree, yeah, that looks fantastic. What I want 
to see is you as a human being. What extra mm. um, skills and experience have you got? And sometimes the best people I get to meet are people who do volunteer work. Yeah. Um, people who have had experience. You know, I've had people from same do um, kind of the Samaritans. Um, I was a special constable, so for those who don't know, I was a police officer, but I stupidly volunteered and get paid to do it. <laughs> I did that for five years. But you don't get the paperwork, do you? Uh, I, 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 well, I didn't get the paperwork because they saw the quality of my paperwork. That was, <laughs> well, that was a skill on that one. Um, yeah, which, you know, which for the tape is a lot better now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, you know, obviously, these little things you do outside of your degree or outside of your education are sometimes as important if not more important than your degree in itself mm. you know if you can turn on yourself with life experience work experience you know working in a certain aspect of a police force or another emergency service or anywhere you know even if it's working in top shop for example mm. you know communi- communication with customers dealing with customer complaints all these sort of things are going to be so valuable in your interview mm. you know more so than well I, I've got a really good degree and I'm, I'm super intelligent mm. intelligence is an amazing thing when you've got somebody screaming at you, trying to punch you in the face, and you've got to kind of diffuse them with your spoken word, um, that's a whole other set of skills, and yeah. that's a really important thing to, to have. So um, I should probably say that not many people try and punch us in the face. It's more about actually getting information out of people. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. an extreme, extreme example I can think of. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, sometimes there will be that conflict because uh, perhaps maybe, say, a members, member of the public there expectations haven't been properly managed they've been promised that say a a crime scene investigator is going to turn up and don't worry they'll they'll turn up and they'll catch who it it was so don't don't you worry and then we're faced with that awkward scenario of actually we've recovered all the evidence that we can but um for whatever reason uh it doesn't look like the case is going to progress any further and that might generate a bit of conflict and then you've got to use your kind of spoken words and the way that you communicate with people to say avoid that from becoming um, a kind of different kind of situation I guess Um, so like you said you can be the most intelligent person in the world but if you've got no communication skills or if you've got no common sense which I've met a lot of people that are so intelligent but they've got no common sense yeah I mean I, I had a burglary uh, early in my career, I was still quite, I was maybe like first year, maybe second year. Mm. I went to a burglary, didn't expect anything, knocked on the door, door swung open, and I wandered in, and I found the uh, occupant at his dining room table uh, with a knife to his throat, and he was in the process of trying to commit suicide. Um, and I've got to say, no amount of my degree or any training literally you kick into, well, here's my communication skills, mm. um, and I spent two hours talking him down. Um, to the point where I could get my phone out of my pocket without him hurting himself so I could call for more help that's the other thing you know you know I didn't even there's so many different ways to deal with it when you join the police you get all the training to deal with these sort of things but it comes down to how can I communicate with this person Mm. if you say the wrong thing it could trigger in a a negative way it's about kind of trying to understand that person's needs and yeah I think Mm. that's what I look for in an interview process I'm not expecting somebody to turn around and say, oh, well, I walked into a house and found somebody trying to commit suicide and I talked them down. I'm not expecting that. But what I want to see is somebody that has an understanding that communication or life skills are just as valuable as mm. the educational aspect of your career. Um, so just think about that as well. If you're going into an interview and you think, I focused a whole, 100% on my, my degree, I've, I've not actually feel like I've got much life experience, 
look for it. So many people want volunteers. You know, you can go down to your local charity shop and volunteer. It will give you fantastic opportunities to meet people from different ethnicities, different backgrounds, you know, rich, poor, whatever it might be. Everybody's different. And you'll soon realize, you know, what an amazing kind of opportunity it is to, to learn more. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's not all about your degree as well. No, but no, an amazing thing you did there, Adam. Um, and yeah, it just kind of shows the kind of people that we're after, really, is those people that have got a sensitive nature at nature and care about other people. Um, yeah, just have good morals, really, is what we're after. Um, yeah, I'm not gonna lie, crap my pants. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I bet. <laughs> I bet. Oh, I've never wanted my to call somebody so bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but then like. Um, if immediately you panicked and hit the red button, then he could have seen that, and yeah, you you just yeah. you don't know what what you've done. Uh, he was alive at the end of it, so what you've done is perfect. Um, yeah, we got him all the help he needed, and he got um, you know specialist care that he wouldn't have got normally. I think from the yeah. NHS, they struggle so much. So sometimes we can we can you know we're not all about catching bad guys. Sometimes it's about helping people who are vulnerable and yeah. need help. Um, so yeah, it's good. Yeah. It was a good day at the end <laughs> oh good well, I think that kind of wraps us up today we've uh, we've t- spoke a lot um, but yeah I hope uh, you've all found this interesting uh, and it's kind of better prepared you if you're about to go to university or if it's given you the kick up the backside if you've got your GCSEs coming up um, yeah do you want to add anything before we go Adam uh, no I, I think we've, we've covered it off I mean the only bit I was going to say was about your gap year I think every I, I, just, I thought I'd put this in because I've still got flashbacks to when I said to my parents I'm going to take a gap year my dad was like yeah I get that good for you and my mum freaked <laughs> if you take a gap year you're never going to go to uni you're going to get you know get a job and you're like money and then you won't want a degree I, don't know. I think take a gap year if you do just I think use it maximize, maximize your, you know that year off I became a special constable, I ran around catching bad guys, learning things that you never thought you'd learn. Other people go on travelling, you know, mm. awesome. What an amazing life experience that is to meet mm. people from all around the world. Um, you know, even if it's just to work to pay for university, mm. make it an opportunity to mm. to take something new and something different. Um, yeah, I think, you know, just don't be scared of the gap year, I think is what I'm getting yeah. at. Um, yeah. But also, if you decide not to take a gap year, it's no, no bad thing. Mm. Um, I'm just fighting for all my people out there are nervous about telling their parents they're going to take a gap here and worried about their mother freaking out it's all good <laughs> it's all good mine freaked out and it all worked out for the best yeah, so, uh, yeah happy definitely day. oh dear but yeah um but yeah, i guess yeah if you went if you went traveling or something like that it would uh, benefit you for yeah work perhaps you get a job out there and you'd be working with people of different ethnicities and yeah you'd have to uh perhaps pick up another language or accommodate you know your your language to to help out so it could a gap year could really um give you that life experience um, you're very optimistic they're going to learn language they're going to australia you're going to work <laughs> on a really hard like nappy wine like wine, winery and then you're going to be drinking stubbies and tinnies as hard hardcore as you can get a cracking suntan and then you come back that's what we all do yeah <laughs> see i never had my gap year so i don't know oh uh, so you're the good boy who went you know straight into to hard work hard yeah yes yeah, i went in maybe yeah i'll get to about 50 and then i'll need my gap year 
and then I'll be halfway up a mountain and think, why didn't I do this 30 years ago? That's called a midlife crisis, mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just do what everyone does and get a convertible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Well, on that note, everyone, I uh, hope you enjoyed it. Uh, catch us soon for our, uh, our next topic, whatever we decide to cover. And, uh, yeah, stay safe. This is Crime Scene Investigator Chris G signing off. Thank you for joining me and I hope you enjoyed listening. Be sure to subscribe and follow my social media at CSI Chris G. Until next time, stay safe out there and I'll see you at the next crime scene. Uh, it sounds fine where I am. Sounds fine. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay. Um, That's cool then. Yeah. You might just have a baby screaming in the background. Um, yeah, it's fine, man. <laughs> These things happen. Hey, uh, you're a real person. Yeah. <laughs>